Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. Two questions. Do you have chutzpah? And what's the biggest example of chutzpah you've ever witnessed? Think about that. We'll get right back to it. I want to pause and say in two episodes, we celebrate our 100th podcast here. Thank you for helping make us what Listen Notes Research reports continues as a top 5% podcast globally. If you like the messages or you've been touched by the stories we tell, the moments of inspiration and uplift of this podcast, take a moment to tell someone, would you? They can find us on Amazon's Audible or on Spotify or on Google and on Apple Podcasts and more wherever you find your podcast and won't you take a moment and tell them to sign up or subscribe to our weekly podcast all that matters with jan goldstein on apple i know it's just a simple button and you sign up and put it on your podcast app and it'll show up every monday for you and it's the same way with all the others spotify and the others it's easy it's free and it's a gift that we like to keep to think keeps on giving as we broadcast stories of simple power and positivity each and every week. Thank you for helping spread the word. So chutzpah, an illustration? Here's a joke you may have heard in some form, and it goes like this. A Jewish grandmother is watching her grandchild playing on the beach when a huge wave comes and washes him out to sea. She pleads, Please, God, save my only grandson. I beg of you, bring him back. And a big wave comes and washes the boy back out uh, onto the beach. Good as new. She looks up to heaven and says, he had a hat. Chutzpah, right? Chutzpah is the quality of audacity that is for good or bad. It derives from the Hebrew word chutzpah, meaning insolence or what the British might refer to as having cheek or boldness. It was Leo Rostin who really wrote the book on Yiddish in The Joys of Yiddish. He defined chutzpah as, quote, gall, brazen nerve, effrontery, incredible guts, presumption plus arrogance, such as no other word or no other language can do justice to it. So in this sense, chutzpah can be used to express disapproval or condemnation. Rostin, in this case, is famous for encapsulating the meaning of chutzpah as follows, quote, referring to that quality enshrined in a man who, having killed his mother and father, throws himself on the mercy of the court because he is now an orphan. Look, the Yiddish language has gifted English speakers with some irresistibly punchy words that defy direct translation, but somehow are instantly understandable. Schmooze and shtick and tchotchkes and bupkis and klutz. Chutzpah perhaps stands out in the front of all of those. But by the way, you don't pronounce the CH like the CH in church or chutney in chutzpah. You know, it's more produced in the back of the throat like you're kind of sort of clearing out some phlegm. In phonics, the Yiddish ch sound is called an 
quote, unvoiced dorsal velar non-sibilant fricative, unquote. Right. I have no idea what that means, but there you are. And whether you get the CH sound right in the back of your throat or you simplify it to a soft H, such as in chutzpah, I've heard some use that. It's definitely a quality we know when we see it. But is it always negative? Rabbi Harold Schulweis distinguishes the meaning of chutzpah as stubbornness and contrariness from what he calls a tradition of spiritual audacity. What's he talking about? Traditionally, you might think Judaism or any monotheistic faith requires unwavering obedience to God, a position that is really sort of one of more passivity, just going along to get along, complying with rituals or laws. And in this light, the idea of talking back to God sort of smacks of heresy. But there are any numbers of examples in Jewish tradition where what Schulweis refers to is held up as a sign of human audacity and morality that elevates humanity, even if it means squaring off with the Creator. So for Moses, that God should, as we learn in the book of Exodus, visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. This is what God says he's going to do after the calf of gold incident that you find in the Bible. And he says, I'm going to visit this iniquity, this sin on the generations to come. And, you know, Moses hears that and he finds that an unacceptable form of group punishment. The kind that also happened with the indiscriminate indiscriminate punishment of Sodom, if you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the others who are going to be punished kind of sort of lumped together. We all hated that in grade school when one person would cheat or one person would do something wrong and the whole class had to be punished. It was just unfair, and this is what Moses argues. He challenges God in this account. He argues against God in the name of God. He uses this fierce logic. He argues, quote, sovereign of the universe, consider the righteousness of Abraham. And remember, his father was an idol worshiper, Terach. Does it make moral sense to punish the child for the transgressions of the father? Basically, he's asking God, will the source of righteousness not act in a righteous manner? What's he doing? Chutzpah, he's calling out God, a power beyond him, but one he feels he must confront for the sake of life for the sake of what is fair and just. That is also chutzpah. And it takes chutzpah to have that kind of reaction. Point of trivia, chutzpah first appeared, talking about justice, in a Supreme Court decision in 1998 in National Endowment for the Arts versus Finley. Who used it? Justice Antonin Scalia used it to describe the National Endowment for the Arts' brazenness in asking for government funding. Let that sink in a moment. I could just imagine his fellow justice and friend, despite their many legal views that were different, Ruth Bader Ginsburg laughing and responding that Scalia's use of the word chutzpah in this reasoning was itself chutzpah. 
but it's apparently getting to the understanding of how this word has taken on a deeper or a broader meaning. Something sort of happened when Yiddish arrived in America. It, it took on at least this partial definition of an, an American term, which was nerve. Some people use it in, in the negative when they say, hey, something that you've done is galling, and they say, man, you've got some nerve, right? That's a bad thing, at least the way they're using it. But someone speaks out unexpectedly, perhaps to an authority figure, in essence, speaking truth to power or to someone who is bullying you or another, and some might say, whoa, that takes a lot of nerve, which in this case is being used in a complimentary way. You see, the word chutzpah has more than one tool in its arsenal, given these possibilities. Someone can be acting in a brazen, outlandish, even arrogant way, and onlookers might be appalled, and yet still find respect for having the audacity, the chutzpah, of taking a stand. Someone with chutzpah isn't ashamed of bending or breaking the rules if it gets them what they want, or if it gets them heard, sometimes for themselves and sometimes for others. Now, I have a personal experience of chutzpah. Uh, my son, Elisha, as a boy, was playing in a t-ball uh, game. And we're sitting, you know, you're watching the park and every kid on each team gets a turn to go up and they tee the ball, they put the ball on top of a tee so it's just st- standing there still, sort of holding it up for you. And the kid takes the bat and takes a whack at it and whacks at it until they actually get a hit. And this way they learn slowly how to hit the ball and eventually they graduate to someone pitching it to them. Well, you know how parents can get involved and coaches too in um, competitive sport. But at this level, I began to notice sitting in the stands with my daughter's that the coach on the opposing team for my son's team kept putting up his best batter every third or fourth time. So rather than going through the whole group of players on his team until that one great hitter could get his turn, he would let that person substitute and bat every fourth time. And so that kid get, got four or five turns for everybody else's one. And nobody else seemed to notice it. And I clocked it and watched it happening. And finally, something took over me. Honestly, I didn't think it through. I simply stood up in the sands and stands and said, that's not fair. I remember I was just burning with a sort of righteous rage inside of me. Like, you've got to call that out, don't you? And the guy pointed to me to come down and meet him on the field. And probably the smarter thing would have been not to do it, but I did. Particularly because I didn't want the kids seeing all this. And I walk up to the guy, the umpire stops the game, and he says, you want me to take you out right here? And I said, what are you doing? These are children. I could not comprehend his chutzpah. And he basically pushed into me like he was going to back me off and the umpire got between us. And all I said to him said, he's cheating. 
and the children are the ones suffering. Now, later on, when my daughters learned, when somebody else in the stand said, man, that took chutzpah, they learned the meaning of that word. I like to think it was a bravery of some sort, but it really was a sense of indignation. But that was my story. In a lot different way, people with much more bravery or courage than mine have used chutzpah. A different way, I've used this word. I, I, I've used this word in connection with these people to elevate, to honor, to illustrate doing what the moment demands. Think of Rosa Parks remaining in her seat. There are some short-sighted people at the time who called her dangerous or provocative. Most of us today would see that as bravery, the courage to go against the immorality behind what she was facing. I remember my father, always when we spoke of Rosa Parks in our house, called that chutzpah, and he beamed when he said the word. It was the very best of spiritual audacity. It was what Moses represented in that confrontation with God in the stories of the Torah, the five books of Moses. That is the chutzpah we speak of when those seemingly without power produce it through word and deed. Churchill in the bunkers below London, all of his citizens following him under the onslaught of the Nazis dropping bombs night after night. I will never surrender, he says. He was bold, yes. Audacious and bodacious, Churchill but that he possessed gold-plated chutzpah is without question. You know, back in 2012, 10 years ago, Forbes published an article entitled Why Chutzpah is the New Charisma and How to Use It to Get What You Want. So again, I ask you, think about a time in your life when you insisted upon doing what was right, even though you knew it could be difficult. What gave you the courage to do? what was right, regardless of the consequences. Do you have chutzpah? Think about this week. Think about what that looks like. Decide how it can be used for the good. Now I'd like to ask you about other examples of chutzpah, for good or for bad, that you might see in people in the news today. Who displays chutzpah and how? What is the negative chutzpah? And what is the spiritually audacious form of chutzpah? Here's to that. Here's to a chutzpah that lifts you and others up. This week and all the weeks to come. Until next time, this is Jan Goldstein. And you're listening to All That Matters. Mm-hmm.